We are going to begin with the main stories in today's papers. I'm joined by the panel, the Deputy Leader of Sinn Féin and TD for Dublin Central, Mary Lou MacDonald, former Fine Gael leader Alan Jukes and consumer and finance columnist with independent newspapers, Sinead Ryan. You're all very welcome. Good morning. I'm conscious as well on All-Ireland Final Day that I'm surrounded by three dubs. So for the sake of balance, I know you plied your trade in Kildare, but you are a dub, Alan. Um, I'm going to have to side with Mayo, lads. I hate to tell you. I hate to say oh, it to come you. on, Jonathan. Well, personally, I'd be sorry with Mayo too I have roots in Mayo and I think it would be good I'm not an an expert in football I think it would be good for for senior football if somebody other than Dublin won it for a change Well there's absolute heresy so I'm kind of we we used to be uh, prominent players up in uh, Croke Park for very many years So I'm on my own own This could be how it happens later on as well Mary Lou could go against the Dubs quite early on Well Uh, no I I think I think it's going to be a great game I hope that the rain holds off and I hope that uh, everyone who has tickets has a great time and those that don't have tickets equally have a great time and I suppose a shout out to disgruntled senators and, and <laughs> others who, who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Well, you're a TD so you were going to get them. Did you get them in the end? I did. Did you? But we were discussing this actually earlier. You see, I wonder now in light of all of this controversy and I think it was very, very ill-judged of the two Oireachtas colleagues to come out in that way and because now the word on the street is not just who do they think they are in terms of uh, Michelle and, and Catherine Noon, but who do politicians think they are, that they're entitled to tickets. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, forces a rethink uh, on the part of the GA, who mm-hmm. I think would have had very good reason to be taken aback at the kind of the onslaught against mm-hmm. them because they didn't provide tickets. There's, tickets no, are, there's are no reason in the wide earthly world why TDs should get any special consideration no. above and beyond anybody beyond else. Why would they, first of all, why would they say it? I mean, that's what fascinates me. That The art in getting tickets for the All-Ireland Final is to work around in the background and yeah. find someone who knows somebody who knows somebody, not to come out in the newspaper. Sure, that isn't, and isn't that supposed to be half the crack of it? But we were just saying before, because Dublin are playing now, we were trying to work out in numbers how many tickets are going astray, for want of a better word, today because of that? Because Dublin has a huge number of TDs. We were, we were trying to work out maybe, maybe 40, 50 TDs. Maybe 60. Yeah, 60. 12 that's 12 That's over 100 yeah. tickets gone that way. You know, that, that you, you have to. And can I just say, Jonathan, lest I not be accused of hypocrisy, I have gotten my tickets as a TD. I have been tremendously grateful to get them. I love going to Croke you, Park. You I go love to a the lot big of matches. Though. I do, but even aside from that, I can understand how busy people don't always get to a lot. To, so I'm very grateful that the GA extend that to us. But there is now a question as to whether they should. And yeah. I, I certainly would not be dogmatic in saying, because, and in fact, Crow Park is in my constituency, <laughs> um, but I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic in saying, get, I deserve that mean you get four as opposed no, to two? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Well, anyway, we'll come back to the All-Ireland later on. Let's go through the uh, front pages of the newspapers and lots in there. The Sunday Independent uh, exclusive they say Kushnahan breaks his silence. I didn't make a penny on 1.6 billion Nama property deal. Niamh Horan is the byline. It says the central figure in the Nama controversy has broken his silence to claim he did not make a penny from the series of property transactions being investigated on both sides of the border and by the FBI. When you go down into it, it's actually uh, a piece that Frank Kushnahan has written himself. So it doesn't seem to be an interview. It says writing today Mr 
Mr Cushman claims that he has been treated like a criminal and that he is an innocent man. Rejecting all claims of wrongdoing, I've been treated like a criminal by sections of the media, although few criminals would have been subject to the same onslaught I've had to endure over the past year. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the other story on the front of the Indo, Kenny Tolt quit by May or face heave. This is another exclusive, this time from Jody Corcoran, who says Enda Kenny has until next May at the latest, a full year on from his re-election to resign as Fine Gael leader and Taoiseach, or he will face a leadership challenge. Sunday Times it doesn't go with the NAMA story at all on their front page. In fact, you have to look to page 11 before you find mention of it. Uh, their front page uh, story from Mark Tighe and uh, Catherine Sands, almost half of all cases going to the new Court of Appeal result in some or all of the original rulings being overturned. That's the result of a study of 562 published judgments. The Sunday Times has analysed all published rulings since the Court of Appeal came into existence in 2014 and found 46% of appeals have been successful in part or in full, meaning it is a worthwhile at least going to the Court of Appeal by that. Um, they also talk about uh, the poll, the business and attitudes poll, which we will come to later on as well. Sinn Féin, good news for you, Mary Lou, four points up to 18% and unaligned independents, not the independent alliance, they're, they're still popular because they're not in government. They're gone up by four points. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil both down by two. There's also a story there. The size of babies' heads at birth is strongly linked to their future success, which is great news for big-headed babies everywhere. Um, the Sunday Business Post, uh, really, they go to town on NAMA. Um, NAMA Under Siege is their headline. Project Eagle and Special Investigation. Call for all NAMA loan sales to be suspended. Chief of Agency defends Northern Deal. Ex-PAC chair claims NAMA misled committee. Former Anglo boss says deep review is needed. Uh, they go on to say that Michael Summers, the former head of the NTMA, has told the Sunday Business Post that all of NAMA's loan sales should now be suspended and its entire seven years of activity is investigated, which is a very broad investigation, far broader than what was announced during the week. They also quote Brendan McDonough, the chief executive of NAMA, defending the agency and the decision to proceed with the sale of Project Eagle. He has written a column for the Business Post in which he says, had we collapsed the sale, it would have been extremely difficult to bring it back to market. Could anyone state with confidence that we would have made more money at the second attempt? That's the question I don't think anyone would be able to answer but he poses it nonetheless. At the front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday a story that is going to come back next week. Get stuck in Minister. The Minister in question is Shane Ross. Um, He was under intense uh, pressure last night according to Neil Michael their chief reporter to prevent the Dublin bus strike from escalating as company sources joined the union in urging him to intervene. Business leader Mark Fielding who is alarmed at the 2.5 million per strike day his members are losing went further and offered his own services as a mediator if Mr Ross won't quote bang heads together if he won't do it then at least I'd like to try at the end of the day this will only be resolved by negotiation he is right about that at least Uh, there's a picture of a very happy looking Brian Drubbery pointing a Nerf gun at the camera but the uh, headline doesn't necessarily tally with that it says parents anger as toy show accused of sexism we'll tell you what the sexism is a little bit later and the front of the Sunday world I was raped by medic in hospital a very disturbing story the Gardaí have launched a major probe after a patient in her 60s claimed she was viciously raped in a hospital changing room by a medic last weekend um Let's talk about the NAMA story, first of all. Sinead, the Frank Cushman piece 
It is a piece. He wrote it. It wasn't a to and fro with a journalist, which mm. I suppose would have been better if it was. What is he saying in it? Well, it's a statement rather than even anything else. Look, it, it, the, the reading of it makes it just look like a PR uh, kind of generated, carefully worded statement that he was completely and utterly innocent of everything. He had no idea why he's involved in the story at all. It seems to be the thrust of it. Now, the one area he doesn't address, I mean, whatever about um, his involvement with NAMA's Northern Ireland Advisory Board, he says that it was clear to NAMA at the beginning that he had links, his word, with uh, property developers and property people in the north, which is presumably one of the reasons he was appointed, because he was in this market and he knew all about it. So he said they knew that before they started. Um, his second point, which um, is interesting, is that his understanding was, again his word, that um, this fixer fee that he was allegedly due to get these millions of euro wasn't in fact the case but he understood that if PIMCO was the successful bidder he'd get a job out of it. Yeah I mean to give the exact quote from Frank Cushion is at the earlier stage of the sale process PIMCO expressed an interest in the purchase of the loan book that did not proceed we know that it didn't happen. Um, Had PIMCO proceeded to purchase my loan book my understanding was there was a possibility I could be appointed by them to an executive role with appropriate remuneration. It's been suggested that in the event of the purchase of the loan book by PIMCO, I was to receive €5 million. Euro. I was not party to any such agreement. But, but even still, Jonathan, I mean, even whether or not he was... Go- Does that not itself pose a conflict of interest? I mean, this is a guy who, you know, c- could have been given a job on a million quid a year. We don't know what kind of suitable job is. We, we do know PIMCO is one of the most successful and, and, and richest uh, kind of... Um, funds in the world. So even that presents a conflict of interest which he seems to be indicating well sure that's okay that's not the same as five million but the other the third point which he doesn't address at all is the bit that we already know about which was the spotlight uh, investigation uh, seeing him allegedly getting this £40,000 in a car he doesn't address that all in the statement he 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 says says I can't talk about it. The BBC broadcast its programme in a sensationalist way which means that that's all he's saying. In fairness it's very hard to do that in an understatement and calm way because the, you know you see a hold all being handed over and, and commentary made about what's in it like surely if you're going to make a statement on anything it should be what happened there Mary Lou MacDonald what do you make of what Frank Cushion has been saying? Well just to take up in terms of what he had to say about his dealings with Mr Muskelly who of course was in City Hospital in Belfast and who the, the programme showed meeting uh, Frank Cushnan outside and handing over this money in a, into a Jaguar. He says that he has been, uh, Frank Cushnan says that Miss Kelly has breached his rights of privacy. Astonishingly, and I don't know what to make of this, he says, uh, and I'm quoting here, <clears throat> I was asked to assist Mr. Miskelly at a time when I was informed that Mr. Miskelly was terminally ill. So we know that uh, Mr. Muskelly hasn't enjoyed uh, good health, but I don't know what the inference of that is. Anyway, aside uh, from all of that, for me, the the really significant thing that this uh, raises is not so much that Frank Cushnahan denies all and proclaims his innocent, as he is absolutely entitled to do, but he makes it very, very clear that NAMA were aware of the conflicts of interest. He says those responsible for appointing me, and just to remind listeners, those responsible for appointing Mr. Cushnahan were, on the one hand, Sammy Wilson in the North, who suggested him, but the finance minister here in the South, who was Brian Lenehan at the time, who actually made the appointment. He says that they and NAMA, 
by that they mean Frank Daly et al were aware of the conflicts of interest. Now I would like to It hear was always disclosed and always yes, known. He was absolutely upfront, upfront in the fact that he uh, advised seven NAMA debtors that accounted for more than half of the loans, half of the Project Eagle, if you like, uh, portfolio. Now, I would like to hear from um, from government as to the extent of uh, knowledge. Frank Daly, when he's come before our committee, uh, before b- before the Public Accounts Committee, has been uh, sketchy in some cases and has been in, in a mindset to just completely stonewall us uh, in others. Frank Cushnan is saying here very clearly that he made no bones about his involvements. It was upfront. It was known to those who appointed him. So I can only decipher from that that it was known to, to government. So as this well, story well, unfolds... Well, we, we don't know that yet because that's not what they well, well, that that's his claim. So let's hear let's hear from, from the Minister and from, from government on that. So as this story unfolds, it it becomes, it seems, a story not just about now NAMAS and Michael Noonan's failure to act when he, he became aware that the whole process had become corrupted in terms of fixers' fees, but you can actually trace back government failure, it seems, to a much earlier point where they were aware that the appointee to this uh, committee was involved as an advisor to persons who were responsible for more than half well, of the Northern well, Portfolio. We, we you couldn't make well, it up. Jonathan, I mean, you know? Alan. Th- there is a, a question here uh, as to what kind of failure was involved, uh, as Mary Lewis said. Um, the appointment of the Northern Ireland Advisory Committee, which NAMA say never got confidential information about specific portfolios, um, that came about as a result of uh, a very understandable sensitivity on the part of the administration in Northern Ireland, not just Sammy Wilson, but the whole administration in Northern Ireland, at the fact that a state agency of the Republic had such a huge involvement in a very sensitive part of the Northern Ireland economy. And a concern, and I'm sure we can all remember concerns being expressed at the time NAMA was set up, uh, about the effect that its activities could have on, on the Northern Ireland economy, on the housing market, on the property market and so on. And, you know, right from the very beginning, uh, there was uh, an even bigger problem in the North about the kind of political noise and pressure that would come about on this whole process uh, than than there was even here. And God knows here, uh, there was enough political angst and argy-bargy about it. So there was always going to be uh, an issue there. Um, you'll understand I'm a bit kind of restricted in what I can say about this because there is a commission of investigation sitting on IBRC, which I have no problem with and will fully co- co- cooperate with. But one of the points uh, that, that we, the directors of IBRC, made when this issue came for, up for discussion was that if people wanted to look at what the performance of IBRC was in my matters of loan recovery, there should at least be some uh, kind of a benchmark against which to judge it. And the other people operating in the same kind of market as us were NAMA and, and um, allied Irish banks. Now, I don't know whether this Project Eagle is the only uh, issue uh, that has caused concern in NAMA. The CNAG may have more to say about that. Uh, but it's certainly the kind of thing uh, that needs to, that will be looked at uh, in some of the cases that I understand will come before the Commission of Investigation uh, in IBRC. Um, frankly, I think 
the 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 allegation or the claim that's made that Lama got. 190 million less for the loan book than it would have got had it done things differently is a bit by the way um, it's significant I think it's a lot lot of money let me make the point it's significant I think that the CNAG uh, was not able to get um, an unconflicted commercial advisor to give them advice on this and it's an issue that could well come up for the Commission of Investigation into IBRC because because it is absolutely impossible to say that if you didn't do a deal this way, you would have got X yes. amount of money by doing it. You, you, well, you don't have the benchmark. But Mike Ainsley, your, your former colleague in the IBRC, has said that a deep and thorough review is needed into the sale yeah, of Project think, Evil. Do, do you agree? I think the question would be what kind of review can be carried out. Um, there are several uh, investigations by criminal investigation agencies going on. And frankly, I think Arlene Foster is right to say Uh, that any other kind of investigation uh, of a governmental kind really should take account of that. Now, having said that, uh, I think that the Public Accounts Committee here uh, has a very clear interest in this, and whether this will be possible or not, I don't know. I think it would be very useful uh, if there were a public kind of simultaneous confrontation or discussion between NAMA and the control and Auditor General in the presence of the PAC where they could both be asked specific questions mm. and they could respond to each other but because there are issues in here between the two but that would, seem would, to would me to not require a lot, the, of, a lot of digging. The classic response that would come out which would be, well we can't answer that because of commercial sensitivity and we go down the rabbit hole yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in Alice in Wonderland yeah, but Jonathan, that's absolutely no reason not to do it no, the, commercial, I, sorry, the commercial sensitivity arises only when you're speaking about a specific transaction. Yeah. And yeah. this specific transaction is out in, the public, already already in the public domain. Yeah. I think the PAC is, would be a great starting point um, for this, not least because, and we all know we have our own, the massive history of both tribunals and investigations, commissions of investigations we have here. It seems to be reasonably efficient and isn't going to cause the taxpayer a whole chuck of extra money. I do take Alan's point, and I agree with the 220 million and I know in the last 10 years we've talked about millions and billions and billions and millions you know yes it's a lot of money of itself but I'm not quite sure that the CNAG has put forward such compelling evidence that that NAMA got this wrong. Now, that's aside from the whole cushion and that absolutely needs to be addressed. I'm not sure that they have put put forward enough compelling evidence. And by the way, if this is the only transaction that they are querying in NAMA's history... you know, I, I think you have to, at some point, we're going to have to take an umbrella view on this and say, overall, how has NAMA done? And Can yes, I give you an example? Done, it could have done of, better. You know, and this is a non controversial case, as far as I, I know, of, of where that kind of second guessing is difficult. Um, in, in IBRC, we did a lot of work and found at a given point that there was a good prospect of selling off the American book um, uh, uh, in reasonable conditions. Uh, We had started work and the Department of Finance looked at that and they said to us, look, we'd like you to sell that as a portfolio group rather than individual sales. Mm -hmm. To which we said, well, we reckon we'd make more money out of selling these loans individually than we would on a portfolio basis. And the Department said to us, well, there is another consideration here. We were using up to £42 of emergency liquidity assistance in in, in, uh, Anglo-IBRC, and the government was anxious to reduce the amount of that. They were under pressure from the European Central Bank. And we said, well, okay, that is a legitimate Mm. 
political consideration outside of our normal remit mm-hmm. and we went ahead with the sale. Now, about a billion euros worth of assets fell out of that sale for various technical reasons and we actually made a better return out of those loans afterwards, sold separately mm. uh, than we and did in the portfolio. Also had to which just means to say, somebody yeah, would know? say the decision to sell in a portfolio basis was a bad decision. Okay. Yeah. It there was something that got us less money than we might otherwise have got, but there was a good reason there for was doing a good it reason that for way. Doing it. Mary Lou, and isn't that the problem? That we are retrospectively going back over a very grim period in Irish the recent Irish past and you will find no more than you will find expert opinions in court cases where you can find one person to say X and another person to say Y we might never necessarily find out what the truth but, is. Well there's no doubt Jonathan that all of this is, is grim and whilst 225 uh, million euro in the bigger scheme of the billings as, as Sinead says is proportionally small that it's a lot of money yeah. it's a lot and it's public money mm. and every mistake that is made whether it's by accident or design, the taxpayer in this jurisdiction p- picks up the tab. Yeah, and the and public is opinion is very sensitised to it. How is it to make the judgment that that Retrospectively, no, and, and that you is, can. on the one hand, it, it seems to me, there's two pieces to this. On the one hand, and this is the bit that NAMA are running on, to have almost like an accountancy argument with the mm. CNAG. Yeah to say, well, no, actually, we were correct in applying a higher discount than was normal. And the CAG saying, no, uh, in fact, I disagree with that. Um, NAM is saying, yes, we were right to bundle up the loans and sell them in one lot. And and the CNAG quite correctly questioned, well, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Because there is no evidence, uh, it seems, of the discussion or the deliberation on other sales strategies. Mm-hmm. So you have all of that. And then bang in the middle of it. And here's here's the real big issue. You have all of the issues of, of what's politely called conflicts of interest, but which represent, to me at least, an absolute failure of governance, of oversight, political uh, decision-making, and so on. And you have all of that in the mix. The best person placed to answer NAMA in terms of the CNAG's methodology is the CNAG. Well, and that, that, that will happen. Point, and, and that will yeah, happen in, in the I Public Accounts Committee. Two, two brief points. Um, if you look at what actually happened in the market between 2009 and 2016, um, after a certain point, uh, most of the activity in the market took the place took place on the basis of portfolio sales, uh, and that was judged to be yeah. uh, a better way of doing it. Uh, the other point about discount rates and all the rest—I mean, I, I think all of that is a very interesting argument. But if we've learned anything about financial services in the last twenty years, it is that relying only on the advice of quants the quantificators, is a very, very dangerous thing to do. It's the quants who got us into the mess that we're in now. Can I ask you a question? Uh, um, I suppose as a taxpayer, as somebody who's watched on Agog at the millions and billions that we're talking about, the ultimate custodians in a lot of this were the Department of Finance. And and we have to wonder how the Department handled this. You were in the Department. I know you've mentioned that you're constrained in what you can say because of the IBRC inquiry. But the Department of Finance were supposed to be acting in our best interests. Yeah, well, I think they were, uh, according to their lights. I have absolutely no doubt at all as to their their sincerity and their diligence in in, in what they were doing. Uh, What I found, um, and I was part of the whole process myself, was that it was very difficult to get a sense 
that people were, if you like, humble enough to realise that we had to find a new way of dealing with a completely unprecedented problem. And we found uh, and that, that, that when, the when it happened in the we, central bank, they weren't able to do it. No, were they competent enough in the bank to, in, the, in the we department? We had to go and find um, a new way of doing things because it was a new kind of problem. Um, our answer to it in, in, in Anglo in 2009 uh, was to go deliberately and look for people who had never been involved in the Irish banking system but who knew banking and the property sector to come in and advise us. Uh, I think... Uh, I'm not blowing my own trumpet in saying this, well, I am really. Uh, <laughs> we were the only ones who actually did that. We cleaned out the entire top management uh, and level of policy making in the bank to get in people who had not been involved either in Ireland or anywhere else in the crash because it seemed to us that that was the best way okay. of getting new thinking. It is quite a murky thing we have to wade through when we talk about uh, this particular issue with NAMA and we need to move on to the other stories in the newspapers and we need to chair Mary Lou up ahead of the All-Ireland Final because Sinn Féin are, are up in the opinion polls and she's absolutely delighted about that I can see from her face. We'll talk more about that with our panel. Mary Lou MacDonald, Alan Jukes and Jeanette Ryan in just a moment. This is The Sunday Show. As I say, I've got my mojo back. We've got a huge agenda in front of us and I intend to go flat out. Uh, as, as head of a partnership government, my mandate is one that I'm not going to walk away from. Uh, there he is, Mr. Mojo himself, Satisha Kendigeni with Pat Kenny uh, on the News Talk programme earlier in the week. This is the Sunday Show with Jonathan Healy with you till 12, reviewing the Sunday papers with Mary Lou MacDonald, Alan Jukes and Sinead Ryan. As party leader, uh, Alan, did you have mojo at one stage? <laughs> I don't think they had invented the term at that stage. It was still in the realms of... Uh, Folk music, you know, <laughs> down home stuff. Um, I, I, I must say, it's, it's a word I wouldn't use, and I would advise against its use <laughs> in a political context. Many people would have advised Enda Kenny against it yeah. as well. Um, look, the, the front page from Jody Corcoran, um, the headline, Kenny told to quit by May or face heave. It, it again comes back to this suggestion that the, the pressure is mounting on Enda Kenny from there's a kind those of at a, lower levels. There's a kind of a, a self-destruct mechanism, I think, in a lot of TDs. Uh, and they, 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 they rarely seem to learn from what's happened before. Uh, I mean, I would simply observe that if you have a party leader who says when he or she is going to go, uh, they've upscuttled themselves immediately and nothing they do afterwards will have any meaning. Um, and you've only to look back at fairly recent history here at uh, Bertie Ahern's long goodbye and the appalling damage that that did to his successor. It crippled... Uh, Brian Cowan. It crippled the Fianna Fáil front bench. Um, it was terrible. And I think, you know, deputies in the back benches of Fine Gael who are now asking Enda Kenny to set a programme for his departure are really going down the same it, kind it's of funny. road. You can hear the knives being sharpened in the background in these conversations. And I remember talking to you on, on the day that Peter Barry, God rest him, passed away, and you yeah. were saying that the, the leadership row that he lost and you won was a gentlemanly affair. This doesn't look like it's going to be very gentlemanly. Uh, possibly not, although, you know, I, I think with, with, with the exception possibly of uh, the leader of Sinn Féin, uh, I think in nearly every other political party, the sound of knives being sharpened <laughs> starts immediately after a, a leader has been elected because there's always a bunch of people who, who are unhappy about it. 
Um, that was my own particular case. Portinenda's case, he, in, in, he, he survived this before, you know, because there's a, he's, this is another heave-ho that he's, he's trying to get through. I, I, well, but there's no coming back from this heave-ho. Once he's well, heaved, he's gone. Do you know what I find amusing? Okay, because Fine Gael had their big think in. The brave, anonymous backbenchers who started mm. quoting to the press about it was time for Enda to go and really about now would be great and, and all that kind of thing. Now, one of them, you know, was prepared to put their put their name to the thing. Um, and, you know, I think Alan's right. I mean, the minute you start talking about it, you've actually just rendered now everything Jerry Adams does from here on in completely superfluous, by the oh way. Oh, God. <laughs> we let Mary Lou come in on that in a moment. I think that, um, mm. I, I think you're right. No, he has to come out fighting, Mojo or otherwise, um, you know, and he has literally no choice unless he's going to name the date now and say, by this date, I am gone and start fighting among yourselves for the position. Uh, he, d- I did enjoy his bit of foot stamping during the week where he said, and by the way, lads, we'll probably be having a reshuffle early in the new year. So, you know, watch your upper yeah. walia <laughs> between now and then. Uh, what, what choice did he have? Of course, he had to do it if he wants to stay. Even another few months, he had to do that. Uh, Mary Lou, uh, to talk to you about, I suppose, your, your own party, uh, Jerry Adams this week did say there will come a time when Jerry Adams will not leave the party and he mentioned a 10-year plan. Fianna Gael might be complaining about elderly gentlemen leaving the party not leaving, but don't seem to have the same complaints from Sinn Féin. Well, that's because Jerry Adams leads Sinn Féin and Enda Kenny leads uh, Fine Gael, maybe. You know, there was tens of thousands on the streets of Dublin yesterday protesting for the for an end to water charges who will be more than delighted to see the back of Enda Kenny. And not just that, the back of this government that he that he leads. Yeah, that's, that's the, why I you love you having you on because you just moved completely <laughs> away from the question you'd I expect asked. No, you'd expect no less of me, Jonathan, <laughs> especially on a Sunday morning. See these questions Very about, agile, about leadership. Tactics. Thank you, Alan. I, I'm going to take that in the spirit that it's intended. All of the stuff around leadership, I, I can't, I don't know, I can only take Alan's word around how Fine Gael goes about their thing and sharpening of knives and all of that. Maybe that goes on. But there's also a, a reality that as the questions are asked about leadership and asked and asked again, uh, in real terms, people like me, st- you, you get on with your job and you get on with the work that you're doing. I think it would be a very sorry state of affairs if anybody actually in any political party was waking up every morning and the first thought in their head was, I wonder how I can manoeuvre myself into the next position. But I mean, that's just bonkers. I think, no, no, I, I've, I've commented on the issue of the Sinn Féin leadership extensively till I'm practically blue in the face. Ivra Hain, that there is no contest at the moment. Jerry is our leader. I support him. I have confidence in him. We have a poll rating today. We're up four points, etc., etc. Point number one. Number two, when the time arises, yes, I would like my name to be considered. I've never made any bones about that. I don't make any secret about that. I've been the deputy leader now for a number of years. I think it would be rather odd if I didn't uh, have that view. And I also accept that there will be others who will have an interest. And I hope whenever the time arises that it won't be a case of this sharpening of knives and people running out around gutting each other well, who are in the same know, party. Oddly, I don't like that enough, and I don't think it's a, an admirable thing. Oddly enough, I have you know? a lot of sympathy for what Mary Lou has just said. And I, I think the media uh, really bangs our heads off a stone wall in this. I no, mean, we I love it. This is good for months. The minute you raise this with Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, there's, you, you could nearly write the script, she's on tracks. Shouldn't even have to think about what she's saying. Uh, some people in 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 Fine Gael, the same thing. Although, uh, as Sinead said, they won't come out in the open and say it. Ninety nine percent of the time, 
99% of deputies in a party do not think about who the leader is, should be, or might be. They're getting on with their mm-hmm. job. Um, when the media ask them questions, they have to go all po-faced and mysterious <laughs> and say <laughs> an awful lot of words without saying anything. I'm not trying to be po-faced. I'm trying to answer this is, this is my first time Just on the Sunday show, and I have okay. managed to find common ground between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, and I think that that deserves My God, you need to intervene in the bus dispute. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm ashamed. Get me to Liberty Hall quickly. How cool, how cool within that whole Fine Gael thing was Leo Varadkar not even turning up to the beginning of the thinking. He yeah. is the you know the sitting leader in waiting by all accounts, allegedly, apparently. And he rocks off ha- rocks up halfway through the day, misses the class photo, you know, as if to say, Oh, leadership oh gosh, never occurred to me. I don't know what you're all on about. I love that. But going back to my original question, Mary Lee, which you so deftly um got around, when Jerry said we had a plan mm-hmm. if it's a ten year plan, does that mean he's going to be there for the next ten years? The 10-year plan is about plotting out a a plan for the party, uh, north and south, for delivering in government in the north, developing our politics in the south, looking at uh, being in government in in the south, building our mandate, building our membership, all of those things. Um, And, of course, the issue of leadership arises in that context. I mean, Jerry makes no secret of it. It, It's a fact of human life. Nobody goes on forever. Uh, He's in the job uh, a good long while, which is a testimony to his stamina and to his commitment. He's fully supported to this day. But of course the moment will come where he and where where the party will make the change. And is that's, that, is that that's at some stage in the 10 years? Is it at the end of the 10 years? Well, I'm not going to get into now the guessing game on, on dates, but obviously we're a party in transition. We're a, a party that has changed and grown very substantially. That process will continue. And of course, all of us as leaders because I want to emphasise this point, it's a collective leadership, um, certainly in our case. I, I don't know about other parties, but that's how we operate. So obviously all of that has to keep pace with, okay. with where well, we're It's at. an interesting uh, reflection uh, that um, the more authoritarian uh, a regime is, uh, the more authoritarian a party is, the nearer they come to a gerontocratic uh, leadership. Um, and the more parties talk about uh, collective leadership. I mean, you, you, you hear that in Beijing, uh, the more authoritarian they tend to be. No, but I, I don't mean, it, I don't mean that, that in, a, in an authoritarian thing. I think I could be accused of lots of things. My kids, oh, my, my kids <laughs> might think I'm authoritarian. No, I, 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 I didn't say, I didn't say that you're making the authoritarian point. I'm observing You're making that an observation. It's a, it's well, a characteristic it, of authoritarian yes, parties well, well, that Sinn the leadership is, goes on forever. That's another thing that absolutely um, I find almost comic um, in many respects. There are certain people, and I'm not attributing this to you, Alan, although it may or may not be the case for you, that would regard Sinn Féin, we're painted up as this authoritarian, um, you know, tight, buttoned up, almost oppressive party, which of course then begs the question, why on earth would anybody join such an an organisation, much less why would you would you say that, look at our membership uh, levels and how they've grown over the years. We are an unruly bunch. Let me tell you, Republicans are opinionated, uh, strong in their positions, strong in their views. The debates are hearty. Some t- they're, they're full on. But I tell you what we also are, and it's not about being authoritarian. We share a common set of objectives and goals, one of which is Irish unity. Okay. And can I tell your listeners, the, the good way, news I from the poll say, I'm, is... I'm an opinionated <laughs> Republican. <laughs> yes. 
who oh, likes to be fantastic. involved in arguments. I, I, so, but on that score, I just want to, poll, the, the actual news from the opinion poll is that 67% of people uh, say that they would vote to support Irish unity. 63% of people polled uh, support the idea of a referendum. I think that's very and interesting. I think it's, that's selective interpretations of the poll. Because 32% it, of them said they have no interest in it at all if it would cost more tax. <laughs> tax. Yeah, no, 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 I know that. complete No, no, of course, I, I understand that, but well, the figures... Well, can I just say, I thought I had brought the two of you together, but no. it declares that my negotiating skills lack a certain something. Mary Lou, I know you've had pressing engagements Thank and you're going you, to leave us, and I, in the best way a cork man can good luck to the dubs this afternoon Up the I know dubs. thank there. you Jonathan uh, I hope everyone has a great day uh, Alan thank Dukes you. and Sinead Reiner stay with us stay, stay with us Two more stories very briefly, if we can. I'm still with uh, Sinead Ryan and Alan Jukes. Mary Lou MacDonald had to go because she had another engagement. Um, there's a story on page two of the Sunday Times, Sinead. Uh, homeowners who trade up should get equal treatment to first-time buyers when it comes to the size of their house deposit. This is about the central bank rules. And, it, yeah, it's a great catch cry for first-time buyers, but is it sensible? Why? Why? <laughs> Stop faffing about in this, politicians. Quite distressed by The this. central bank has introduced these quite draconian measures, it has to be said, okay? The 10% deposit rules, the loan-to-income rules, all that kind of stuff. They did it precisely because of a decade or more of meddling in the property market that politicians did for populist and other reasons, okay? If I were head of the central bank, and God be with the day that someday somebody might appoint me, I would be digging my heels in even more than usual, Overall, this political interference, the budget is coming up. There is pressure on politicians uh, within and without government to have populist measures introduced which allow poor, beleaguered, would-be homeowners to start buying property that, by the way, to a large extent doesn't exist and to kind of manipulate and massage the rules of a completely independent bank. Now, you either have it independent or you don't have it independent, but but the central bank exists for a reason and it is not for turning. And I think that whatever measures are introduced cannot have the effect, as they seem to already have, of styming an already stagnant market. It is it's a Fianna Fáil wheeze, Alan, and so one would think... And Fianna Gael wheeze, by the way, because Minister Coveney came out last week and started offering all kinds of equity swaps and, and a grant and helicopter money and all kinds of things for first-time buyers. So, so That's not good enough. Both of them are at us, therefore. Well, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just political meddling that, that contributed to the, the problem. It was sheer stupidity on the part of the banks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the rot started on the first day when 100% uh, loan to, 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 to value mortgage w- was, in, was yeah. introduced. I remember there was a machine down at the IFSC that could tell you if you were entitled to and then And then banks were coming along and saying to people, well, as long as you're borrowing 100% of the cost of the house, yeah. take a bit more uh, in order to furnish yeah. it. Uh, and I think the central bank was perfectly right. Uh, the only sad part of it was that it wasn't done much earlier. Uh, and I think, my guess is that the central bank will stick to its guns. There is another bit uh, where I was unhappy with the central bank some years ago, where they didn't oblige the banks uh, to take a, a, a different view of how they dealt with people in mortgage arrears. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have time in IBRC to make much progress with the old uh, INBS mortgage book that we took on. But I believed that at that stage it would have been perfectly proper uh, to say to people who are in difficulty, look, 
your, your, your borrowed X amount for your house is worth half of that today. Yeah. If we gave you a mortgage for the current price of your house yeah. uh, on the same kind of terms that you have now, would you be able to afford it? And if the answer had been yes, they should have written down the value of the house yeah. and start from scratch again. But that would have required a capital hit on yeah, the bank. No, yeah. But it, the, but but it would have been the right anyway, thing to do. Because they're doing exactly that yes. by bundling them up and, and selling okay. them out of securitised yeah, debt to, to adventures. Again, we, we bang our heads off the wall. We mentioned earlier, we don't have a huge amount of time. The story on story of the day. page on, nine... Late Late Toy Show has come under an astonishing attack for daring to show little boys playing with tractors and soldiers and little girls playing with dolls. A report for Impact, which for some reason they mention has no members in RTE, says the most watched show in the country is guilty of sexism for showing gender-specific toys. Sinead Ryan. Okay, this comes under the heading, in my view, of more money than sense when it comes to commissioning uh, surveys and reports. There are two things you cannot touch in RTE if you're going to start giving out. One is Miriam O'Callaghan and the other is the Late Late Toy Show. (laughs) And the argument here seems to be, um, you know, somewhat uh, kind of a bash that 67%, I mean, can you actually imagine somebody wading through all this programming to count this up? 67% of the toys boys were given to play with res- refer to a specific in inverted commas boys there career were boys farming construction and the military although I know plenty of farmers and, and people in the military who are women anyway only 14% of the alleged girls toys related to a career and of these they were all low paid careers oh, so it's careers ha- rather correct. than to- okay. hairdressing and, and shop Jonathan, the bit about this that amazes me is the fact that journalists <laughs> never seem to remember what they wrote about last year. This story comes up regularly <laughs> and people get all fired indignant about it and we know the same thing's well, going to happen next all I'll say and it'll be just as down. In there. terms of sexism, if you stand on girls' Lego or boys' Lego, it hurts your foot as much in the morning time. That is it from the panel. Sinead Ryan, Alan Dukes and earlier Mary Lou MacDonald, thank you for joining us on the Sunday Show.